Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Let me start today by thanking you for your many prayers for me over the last month since my concussion. Um, been through a lot of headaches and dizziness at times, a sore neck, but God has healed me. And um, I just want to thank you for your prayers and that effort. Bless the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. I um, <clears throat> have been with you now about six months, I guess, and, and God has led me to this place. And, you know, I, I believe, as we sung today, I believe that God wants to do something in our midst. I believe, and I look forward to the day that when we come in the doors and the presence of the God is so powerful, all we can do is fall on our faces. I look for the day when we come in to worship God and the glory comes falling down on us. I look for the day when the gifts that God has put in each and every one of our hearts, that they be manifested with power. And I look for the day when we hear the Word of God and we are lifting ourselves until we are empty of all the praise and glory we can give Him. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I've wrestled with what to do today. The pastor suggested something to me, and the more I got into prayer with God and everything else, he kept bringing me here, Psalm 139. And so I just want to be able to be obedient to him. Amen? All right, pray with me if you would, please. Father, nobody here wants to hear what I have to say. Not even me. We want your living word. We want it to come with power. We want it to come with conviction. We want it to come with healing. And, oh God, we want you to be honored in it. So let it come forth, oh God, to go forth and accomplish that for which you're sending it. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know the title may look a little imposing to you. It was to me. I um, got into this and immediately, right off the bat, uh, as I began to read this, God began to show me things that are powerful. And if we can grasp these things and walk in them, how much more will the glory fall in this place? Amen. So let's get busy and look at this because um, God has a lot to say. It's broken down into four stanzas, each one six verses long. The best I can do is give you a summary. I can't teach this today, folks. <laughs> but let's read together. Verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are immediately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before 
and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Let's go back to verse 1. Because the first couple of verses in this chapter are laying a foundation, and they're so awesome, we need to spend some time here. Notice verse 4. Lord, you have. This means that God has done something in the past. Not that he's still doing it now or in the future, but I believe it says here he's done it in the past. So whatever God has done, I don't know when it happened. You know, I know there's going to be a lot of questions. People say, well, when did God do this? He doesn't tell us. It could have been before creation. It could have been at our birth. It could have been at our new birth. We're not told. And so someone else again makes the statement, well, shouldn't you have let me know he was coming? God didn't have to answer to you. And in our culture today, somebody's going to say, I feel so violated. And the answer to that is, get over yourself. Because God has done something that only he can do. And he's here to reveal to us that he has done it. Now, what's he done? He says, he has searched me. If you're like me, you've probably lost something in your house. And you're looking for it for four or five hours, and you go to the same places again five times, you know. All time expecting it's going to manifest itself for that last time you look. It's frustrating. It wears you out. And you get nowhere. But listen. If God searches something, he already knows where it all is. God already knows. And so now we have to go back here and we have to take a look at the, again at this word here because I don't sense we're getting it exactly until we look at it from the Hebrew word there, searched. That word means we have been sifted. Now, you men don't know anything about that, I'm sure, but you women do. When I was a child, I used to watch with fascination my grandmother. She was going to make a cake or a pie or something, and first she'd go to the pantry and get out the flour and all the other ingredients that went into it and get her bowl for it's all going to go into, and then she'd get her sifter. For the men, if you don't know, you can buy one for three ninety seven at Walmart. <laughs> it's just a little cylinder with a mesh bottom and a crank. And it serves two purposes. Number one, it takes the lumps in the flour and crushes them and pushes them through the mesh. Makes the flour lighter. It'll mix better with ingredients that way. And secondly, it is to keep any foreign substance out. Hmm. Now let's analyze that for a moment. God has sifted us. He has taken things that has been placed within us, and who else puts them in there but Him? He has taken things, and He has taken all the lumps and sifted us through that mesh. But 
but he's also kept those things that are foreign to us, that don't belong in us, and has shielded us and not allowed them to get in. Can you say amen? Yeah. Now this is a little bit different. If he searches me, he already knows. But he says he has sifted me somewhere in time, past whatever, my birthday, I don't know when it was, we're not told. But he has done this in us. Let's look further. Not only have you sifted me, but you know me. Well, didn't he get that from the sifting? It's different. You have known me. Here I sense we have a problem. Do you really know the neighbor you live next to? I mean, you probably could identify them in a, you know, if, you, if someone pointed them out, and you could say their name or maybe even name their kids. Maybe, you know, a few birthdays or something, you know, whatever. But nobody can know a person until you get to the place that you can know what they're thinking in their hearts and what the intention of their heart is. Guess what? We can't do that without the Spirit of God. So he says here, he has known me. Known me. And immediately it brings to mind that one of the problems we have in the church today is that we don't really know who we are. Come on. We don't know. We think we do. We go about our lives every day. We go to work. We do this and everything else, mainly out of routine. But do we really know who we are in here? Well, I'm a Christian. I live at such and such a place. Didn't ask you that. Well, I went on vacation. I'm, I'm, I'm John Smith's son. Who cares? Do you know yourself? The great um, theologian of the fourth century, Augustine, said this. He said, Lord... Teach me to know myself that I might know you. Hmm. What's that about? You see, what God wants us to understand is what he has done and what we need to do is to know ourselves. To know ourselves. Because, you see, so often we go about our lives like usual. And then suddenly one day someone pops up and says, you know what, George? You're the most critical person I've ever seen. You, you criticize this and criticize that. You're always criticizing. And me and my humbleness jump back and say, what? Me? You can't be talking about me. But they've already experienced my criticism. And they've watched me criticize other people. But you see, I don't want to admit it. Because up to that point, I have been unconscious of it. Anybody done that? We go through this whole thing here, living our lives out before others, putting on this big mask. Come on, admit it, we do. This big mask that we hide behind because we don't want anybody to see what we really like. Amen? 
And because of that, we're not transparent. We don't really see what our flaws are. We don't see what our deep cravings are. And we continue to live in the same old messy way. And that's a travesty because it says, as pastor has told us more than once, he who is in Christ is a new creature. The old has passed away. The new is still here. Hmm. What do we do with that? You see, the thing I want us to see here is that God wants us to be able to come to a place where we understand that unless there is some deep habit or or, uh, evil desire or anything else that dwells within us, until the day that gets eradicated or subdued, we are in bondage in it. And it has mastery over us. How much more should we bring it to the light? God wants us to see and to understand here when He says He has known me. He wants us to, me to understand the totality of what He wants to do here because, you see, everything is under His control. I know you don't like that. You don't like your boss when he's in control of you. You don't like other people who want to try to control you. But God controls you. And I'm going to get into that. He controls you. He made you. Everything about you is known to Him. What person makes something and doesn't know explicitly everything about it? Even the potter, remember? He started a vessel and it fell apart because a foreign substance was in it. He removed it, took the same clay, put it on the spindle, and made a new thing out of it. That's our God. He sees the foreign parts. Doesn't mean we're not a new creature. We are. Right now. Not we're going to be. He says you are. But what we're talking about here is that he wants you to see who you are right now. And that's the whole purpose of this, that he might expose us to us. So that we might see what he is seeing and be better for it. You see... This is why he gives us a conscience. So that we can walk about knowing that someone dwells within me. And he points out, that's good. No, don't go there. Because we don't have that ability within ourselves to know the difference. But by his spirit now, we have that. And there's power. There's power there. Freedom. He goes on and he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize. Now, get this. He's already sifted us. We're as fine as can possibly be if you go by the sifting method. But he says, you scrutinize my path and my lying down. Hmm. And you're intimately, intimately acquainted with all my ways. He 
He says, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you already know it. He already knows what you're going to say tomorrow. Hello, what? He already knows. He says here, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. What does that mean? When it says in the Hebrew, when you have enclosed me behind, he's talking about eternity past. And you have, also it says here, you have also enclosed before me, which means anything coming in the future, and you've laid your hand on me. How can I illustrate this to you? This is a true story. There's a missionary who went down to Brazil up the Amazon River deep and found this group of people. You know, there's these little pockets of people around the world that no one even knows about. And he spent a year there living amongst them. He would help them build things, help them cook food, wash clothes. Anything that needed to be done, he was there as a servant. But every day he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And they would listen patiently. And each day he was anticipating. But at the end of every time he spoke, they would come to him and say, show us the Father, then we'll believe. After a view of this, he was in despair. He didn't know what to do. And he spent the whole night in prayer one night saying, God, I've given every scripture, I've given everything I can think of, and I've allowed your spirit to move through me to to minister to these people. What am I going to do? And God gave him the answer. Do you know what it was? God said to them, God said, go to these people and say to them, you want to see God? Look at me. No rotten tomatoes. I'm in good stead here. Okay. And when they thought about it, they thought and remembered all that he had done for them all through that year and everything else. And they believed. If you are what God is like, we believe. Now, you may think that's... (laughs) You may think that... You've got to be talking about somebody else. That's not me. Don't be a liar. If you look over in John 14, verses 7 through 10, Jesus has been talking to his disciples and he's trying to tell them how one he is with the Father. We are one. One. And in the midst of that, Philip Philip walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says to Philip, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was saying, God lives in me. Therefore, if you've seen me, you have seen him. Now let's take it further. If God dwells in you as he does in me and in all of us here, and we are in him, are we not one? Therefore, when people look at us, they should see God. God help they see me. I'm I'm ugly. 
I mean, I can, I can do anything the world does and, you know, go about and they say, oh, he's just like us. I don't want them to see me. I want them to see God in me. Amen? Because that's, that's what God has said in his word here. You look at, you look at me and God dwells in me. Well, let's, let's put it like Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, Paul was recognizing that Christ was in him and he was glorifying God back and forth in this way. And he says, imitate me as I'm imitating God here. The problem is sometimes we don't want to believe what the Word says we are, much less who we are, and so we have these great difficulties. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city that cannot be hid on a hill. No man takes the light and puts it under a basket. But every man puts it on a candlestick and puts it on the mantle so the whole room will be illuminated. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they might see the glory of your Father and worship Him. Now let's back up for a minute. Notice what it said. You are the light of the world. What? Yes. And it's a commandment. You are. The light of the world. Now, I know, if you're like me, I don't shine like the sun yet. I'm not even a thousand watt bulb. But God is saying, even if you're just a 15 watt bulb, you're still light, so shine with the light you've got. Can we believe that much? Amen. So, He's saying here to us, Hear what I've done for you. Hear what I'm putting into you. Hear what I expect out of you. Because if you don't believe this and you don't know who you are, you cannot walk in it. So he goes on. And he says here, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Oh, it's good that ignorant when other people are talking to you and you don't really want to listen to what they're saying anyway. And so you just sort of halfway here and you know, I don't believe that. But this is the knowledge that God has poured into him, us himself. And it's so glorious, so marvelous, so wonderful. We, we have difficulty taking it in because, as a matter of fact, it's a little terrifying to think that somebody knows us that well. That's what Hebrews 10.31 says. It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And we were feeling so comfortable. But God wants us to understand there's power here. There's, there's something that you're not grasping yet. And I'm telling you, it's here. It's in you right now. And I want you to know who you are so that you can finish out what's coming. And when we get to that. But what is our tendency? Every one of us, we hear something like that. It's too great for us, too mighty, so powerful and everything. And the first thing we want to do is run from it. God shows up. Adam and Eve go find some fig leaves. 
That's just like us. And God has to remind us that once again, He says, where are you going to go for my spirit? Well, try heaven. Oops, I'm there. Well, I'm going to go down to Sheol where the dead live. Excuse me? The dead are dead. And God says, nope, I'm there too. Well, if, if I could just... Let me read it because it's such a beautiful thing in the Hebrew language. He says, If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. In Hebrew, it gives us this idea of the travel of the speed of light. Dawn comes up and you're as far away as you can possibly go. And yet he's still there and his hand is on you. You see, no, we need to understand this, that no matter how much we fail, how much we fall down, how much we, we are, are, are acting outside of who we really are, God does not stay His blessings. He still blesses us. But don't, don't, don't doubt that He's going to do whatever it takes to get you back. And that sometimes is not nice. Yeah. It can be tough. It can be tough. He said... Well, even if I go in the darkness, you overwhelm me. You're going into the darkness? Even that's bright lights to you, God. Where am I going to go? Let me explain it to you this way. Edward, would you agree with me that's a solid piece of wood? All of you would. You can drive a nail into it. You can pound on it with a hammer. It's not going anywhere, right? Then we're all liars. Because if you have enough, a powerful enough microscope, and you look at this piece of wood, what are you going to see, really? You're going to see little millions of tiny atoms that have been pushed together, punched together, put the, you know, stressed in there tight so that our naked eye can see it as a piece of wood. But with that same microscope, you're also going to notice that in between each one of those little tiny atoms, there's space. Guess who feels that? God does. That's why He is in and through and of us, because we're made up of atoms. We came from dirt. God is there. You can't get away from him. You may try. You may get put. You know, start watching TV all day long and 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 put your mind to rest and just let these uh, flickering things come across the screen and you just sit there. But you can't get away from God. He wants to tell you here. I'm, I've, I've done this stuff in you, and I want you to know who you are because that's how I have planned for you to be. So don't think about running away. Oh, but it goes deeper. You know, one of the things we have with knowing who we are is our our thoughts are 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 made up of our past impressions by the way we hear or we felt or or we see things, and and, and we we take those and store them up in the treasury of our minds. Is this not true? Yeah. So the problem with that is, is that when we 
want to come up with a new idea or entertain some new thought, the first thing we do is run it up against what's there already. And if it doesn't measure up to that, then we don't want to receive it. This is why sometimes new teachings are hard to accept because I never heard it that way. This is not true. No amens on that one. Okay. But you see, what God is trying to get us here to see is that He has made us. He has made us. And what we need to remember is that when it comes to thinking about things, quit relying on the past. God is the God that's now. God is the God that's in the future. Get away from that. Isn't that what He said to us in His Word? Put away the old man. Just take it off and throw it down. Put on the new man. Thinking. It's a a powerful thing that God has put within us. Oh, but now we go to another portion. For you, Lord, have formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Now, I thought mommy and daddy had everything to do with me. Not exactly. They did provide two things that... that, I asked you to check this on... on, I don't know, just look it up on a computer somewhere. Scientists can now tell us that the moment an egg penetrates... I mean, a sperm penetrates the egg, there is... A flash of light. Indicating life has begun. It's true. Look it up. And what he's saying here, you have have formed my inward person. You have formed me. And you wove me. You women know this word too. It's like knitting. He has knit every piece of us together that pleases Him. Not the way we would see it, because we still argue with God at times. Why didn't you give me a better education? Why did you make me this way? Why couldn't I have done that? Again, get over yourself. God has made you the way He wants you to be. And that which pleases Him. And so He says here, you've done this, Lord. Nobody else, but you have. So he says, I will give thanks to you. I've been set apart. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's about the best way you can describe it. He says, I will give thanks to you. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Mm. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. What does he mean by that? When we were in our mother's womb. It's dark in there. Nobody turns the lights on. It's dark. And in that darkness, in the secret place that nobody can see or know, he has, what does it say here? He has, my frame was not hidden with, from you when I was made in secret. Wow, what a God. And you have skillfully wrought 
in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. That's a lot to take in. What do we see? We see here that God has a book. And that God has put all of our days in this book. Even the ones we haven't lived yet tomorrow. But I want you to say something here. He says, the days that were ordained for me. Do you know what that word ordained means? Appointed for me. That word means set apart. God has set a course for our life. If you want to put it this way, God took a snapshot of us. And He put that within us and said, this is how I want you to live. Live out this life. Just as I planned it for you. That's kind of hard to receive. But you see, that's what God says. It has been ordained for me. Even the days I haven't lived yet. And if we want to be honest about ourselves, when it comes that day when we all have to appear before God to either receive our, our reward, whether it be good or bad, even in us as good people, what are we going to be judged against? The Bible? No. We're going to be judged on how we walked out the thing that He put in His book that is ordained for us. How much more do we need to understand? We need to know who we are. Oh, Jesus. I'm reminded over in, I think it's Psalm 56, verse 8. The latter part of that one verse goes like this. You have kept all my tears in a bottle. Are they not written? in your book. Everything about you He's already written in His book. Let's go on. I've got to give another scripture. Ephesians 37, I mean, Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Even when I fall, He picks me back up. That means that is how intricately He is involved in you and me. On a daily, everyday basis, year in and year out. Our steps are ordained by Him. We don't choose them. Oh, we do. We claim to have freedom. We're not bound up to anybody or anything. And we choose to make bad decisions and go this way and go that. But the word of the mouth of the Scripture says this. Your steps are ordained by the Lord. That's what you want to walk in. You don't want to walk in this other thing over here. You don't want to be president of some big corporation. You don't even want to be president of this country. You don't want to be wealthy or anything like that. You want to walk as God has called you to walk. Amen? That's what I want.
That's why he goes on, he says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. What's he saying here? He's saying, I'm overcome. We sang a song this morning, Holy Spirit, come. Overcome us. Overcome us. Get beyond who I am. Overcome me that I might be before God in all my transparency as He tries to see me. Wants me to be. Your thoughts are so great. So wonderful. Do you know that God, because He loves us, He delights with joy and dances with glee over you? Yes. No matter how ugly or bad you are, He still says, you know, if God... If God lived in a neighborhood and, and, and we went out and we got into the drugs or something or we did something awful and, and it was bringing shame to the family name, we would still go out and tell our neighbors, have you seen my son lately? I just love that son. He is a good child. Man, he loves me. We have time together. We pray together and all this other stuff. Do you do that? Usually we put our kids down. They just, right? No, no amens again. But, God delights in us. That's why He has done all the things that we have seen up to this point. And when I'm awake, you're still with me. There it is again. You can't get away from Him. You close your eyes, you went to sleep, and you're thinking, finally, at last. But He fills the night vision with dreams. He talks to you when you're asleep. Because that's the only time you're still enough and, and quiet enough to let him do so. You're still there, God. You haven't gone away. I thank you for that. And our immediate response is, as human beings is when we start to begin to get a little handle on all that God is saying here to us and all, we, we want to get holy real quick. He demonstrates that. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodthirst. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do, not, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Pretty strong. Praise God that we get the holy feeling we want to do that. Finally, we come to verses 23 and 24. He has already sifted us. What do we do here? I submit to you that only that person who understands the sifting that God has done in us. Only that person who knows that the knowledge of God that He has placed within us is so wonderful, so great, we can hardly even understand or contain it. Only that person who realizes they can't run away from God, no matter what they try to do. Only that person who realizes how great and the miracle that came about when we were born. Only that person who knows how God thinks about us and rejoices in it 
Only that person who wants to be holy now and deal with all the enemies and get rid of them, not just entertain them anymore. Get rid of them. Only that person wants to come and say to God, sift me again. What? Sift me again, O God. It reminds me of James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your faults, your sins, one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. We're not talking just physical healing. We're talking about mental, physical, uh, uh, intellectual, every other thing. But do we do that? Come on. I'm not just going to go up to anybody and start confessing my sins. That's what's holding us back. We don't want them to know who we really are and what we've really done. So we're not healed yet. Now what's, what's, what's going on here? Let me tell you that as long as you hold on to those little things, and get this, you're no different than anybody else. They've done the same things. Only when you come to the point that you're willing to bring that thing into the light that all can see, are you free? Because up to that point, the devil holds that like a, a pole over you, saying, don't say that, that. Don't tell that person who you are. Whack. Don't tell them. They'll, they'll disown you. Whack. Don't do that. They'll, they'll run away from you in fear. Whack. Only when we bring it into the light of God are we freed from it. I can freely say to you, of all the sins I know in the Scriptures, I, I, I think I've probably committed them all except for a couple. Oh, that's pride. But you see, you're no different than I am. We've all done things. I'm ashamed of my past. But I will not let it dictate my now or my future. So I have to bring it to the light and let God see it and then confess that, Lord, I did this. You see, the thing we need to understand is when we are bad or ugly or do something wrong, all we are required by the Word of God is to come to God and say, God, I did this. That's all you've got to do. Because, you see, we've already been forgiven in Christ Jesus on the cross. But we just have to own up to the fact, I did it. That's all God requires of you. Admit it. He says here, sift me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. He is saying here, Father, I understand what you've done before. Sift me now. Sift me tomorrow. Sift me again. I'm willing to own up to and accept what I've done wrong. I'm willing to be corrected. 
I'm willing, oh God, for you to have your way in me. So that there is nothing in me that will separate you from me. There'll be nothing to hide. My 15-watt bulb, I'll shine it bright. I will proclaim you because you are the God who made me. Oh, church, that we can get this. Know who we are. Deal with who we are as a person. Understanding what God has done. What He has put within us. So that we might glorify and honor God in all things. Amen. So, Father, let your word go out and achieve that for which you sent. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.